All right, welcome to Contagious Voice, aka the Time Traveler's Guide to Dragon Riding. I'm Jason Morris. I'm leaving the gym right now. Today is a special day because it is my youngest daughter, Charlotte's 18th birthday. So I have been racking my brains trying to think of a gift and I have some good ideas. I'm getting ready to actually go to the store right now and see if I can find them. So uh, this episode might be short, but I've been in the process of telling my origin story. Now, if there is anybody listening right now, and I don't think that there is, I think I'm still talking to just, you know, my audience of me, which, you know, that's my favorite audience, I suppose. I think that that might be true for everybody. But um, the reason that I'm still telling this origin story and why it's going on so long is because in the beginning I expressed that my goal is to get into public speaking. I've already done a, a, a certain amount of it, actually a fair amount of it, uh, and I have I have found that I I am just filled up by doing that, by connecting with people and seeing their faces light up when they when they hear my stories and my stories land home with them and the connect and it connects to something that they've recognized from their path or from their past. Uh, that by listening to my uh, my journey through, and then what has transpired afterwards, they see a path for themselves. So, you know, the purpose of all this is to connect with folks that are standing somewhere in the you know on the on the journey of their life <laughs> in the dark with a with a map out and a flashlight, scratching their head, trying to figure out where they're at and where they should go from there. Um, And uh, the other piece of this is that in telling the origin story as thoroughly as I can and going through all of the significant events that I remember that led me to where I'm at, what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to learn how to tell these stories well. And some of them just have existed in my head and I've not told to anybody, uh, either because I didn't think they were interesting or I didn't think anybody would care or I was too embarrassed to tell any of these stories. So... I'm I'm trying to get all of this stuff out. This is uh, like we'll call it my ode to authenticity, and figuring out, you know, what this is all. Figuring out what this is all about. Sorry if I'm hesitating here. I'm trying to I'm trying to make a turn with the light. But uh, so I'm maybe spending a little bit more time on this than I might were I on stage. Not all of these stories need to be told in order to illustrate a point, but I'm trying to figure out which ones are the best ones to tell that truly connect with what I'm trying to do here. Some, so some of these things are going to flop. Some of them are going to be boring. Some of them you're just not going to be interested in at all. But uh, I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, and today I think I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to call it the things that we learned from cheerleaders and peanut butter. And yes, you did hear that correctly, cheerleaders and peanut butter. Now, the perverts out there are are, clapping their hands going, man, now we're getting to it. Excuse me. Uh, But it's nothing like that. Unfortunately, we're still still on the path with this um, really, really awkward youth going through uh, and and trying to find a way in the world. You know, that was where I spent most of my time. And I think, you know what, 
I think most everybody does. And I, I think that's a lot of the point of this is that our pains, our feelings of isolation, uh, our, our lack of connectedness, our feeling like, you know, being the outsider. I really truly believe uh, that that is just how we know that we're human and that pain is universal and is a great connector. Um, and ironically, I think that most people look at it as the great divider, but I believe that we're all connected to each other through our pain. Uh, you know, those feelings of isolate, isolate, isolation, couldn't talk, feelings of isolation and the feelings of loneliness and the feelings of, of you know, despair and, um, and dashed hopes and all those kind of things. I think that's just, I think that's just who we are as a species. And, and I have learned to take comfort in that. So the things we learned from cheerleaders and peanut butter, here's the deal. Uh, last time I, the, in the last story, you know, I told the, uh, the things that we learned from slugs and I explained to you what went on in the woods, uh, you know, all those years ago in Germany and how it affected me. The one thing that I didn't mention, which I didn't realize until later, is that, you know, when my father screamed my name and I associated it with that really intense event, uh, I actually heard the echoes of that uh, in the, the saying of my name for years. So for the longest time, when someone would say my name, I, I felt this vague sense that I wanted to crawl inside of myself. Uh, there was some form of shame attached to it. And I never really did figure that out until I went through this self-exploration -ex process. And that's not what this story is about, but it'll come into play later. So uh, cheerleaders and peanut butter. Let's fast forward. We've left Germany and are, uh, you know, actually breezed through living in Texas. I was only in Texas for about three years. And honestly, I remember that as being a wonderful time. Uh, you know, I had gotten over a lot of, or at least I felt like I had gotten over a lot of the, uh, the anxiety that I was feeling as a kid. I mean, kids are, are, are as a much younger kid, I should say, kids are resilient. And, um, and, uh, you know, I was at that age where, you know, every, everything was just hustle and bustle and, and, um, you know, you, you just, you know, at certain times it just gets so busy and so, so fun, honestly, like Texas is a cool place to be a little boy. So there's lizards and snakes and frogs. I mean, I used to go and play with rattlesnakes. Don't tell anybody, but <laughs> that was, it was just cool. So anyway, I spent an awful lot of time just running around, uh, you know, wild, basically. I, I think I spent three years without a shirt on. Uh, and really, uh, you know, just really kind of, kind of connected with nature during that time. And I had some good friends that did the same thing and I sort of forgot to be anxious. And I think that was a really good thing for me. But then being a uh, military dependent, you know, every three years, you get used to the idea that you're moving. So here we move from Texas where I'm just this hillbilly at this point, um, to, you know, cut off jeans and no shirt most of the time, barefoot in the summer, you know, it never got below 90 degrees, it seems. So, you know, it was just, I mean, I was just a hick. And, um, then I move, we, our next move is to the DC area where everything is now, now you've got the, the yuppie offspring. Um, and so here I am, this hillbilly kid going into the public schools, uh, and, weird, weird scenario because I had always been, you know, I was military dependent. So I had always been on military, in military schools. 
Um, and there, it's like a different world because people don't have jobs so much as they have ranks. And anybody who is a military dependent is probably listening to this and kind of chuckling because you know it's true. And the way that you determine where you're at in the pecking order was what rank your parent was. And <clears throat> at the time, you know, my, my dad, I think, was probably a major. And so he outranked an awful lot of people. So I would just kind of come in with instant status. And so I enjoyed my time in Texas as the major's son. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of enlisted kids and so forth, not enlisted kids, but enlisted parents where their children were kind of at this different level. So, you know, you have this instant status. And, and I was actually, I was feeling pretty good about myself in Texas. But then I moved to Virginia and we went to public schools. There was no military schools. And I had no concept that there were other professions other than a rank. I had none. I mean, you would think that would be impossible, but living on a military base, you're so isolated from the world that to a certain extent, it's like a cult. And uh, so I go to my first year public school and, you know, I do the, the routine that you do to establish where you're at, where you're sitting at the lunch table. And, um, you know, you're asking the, the kids, you know, so what's, what rank is your dad? That was like the, the whole thing. That's how you knew where you fit in. You know, oh, your dad is this, mine is this. I know where I'm at. You know, and you would kind of follow the, the higher-ranked kids, and you would lead the lower-ranked kids, and that was just kind of how it was. Um, <clears throat> but in public school, there was no rank. The only way you could tell where you fit was through competition, and I was just woefully unprepared for that. So I remember sitting at the table and asking this, this kid sitting across from me, so what rank is your dad? And he says, rank, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, what rank is he? Like, my dad's a major. What's your dad? Uh, well, my dad's in banking. And I'm just thinking, banking, what's that? I had, like, no idea. None. So, the, you know, to say that I was disoriented, and, and as I go through and I learn that I have no status, and the thing that I, I used to be able to depend on uh, to figure out my place in the world, uh, you know, that mechanism no longer worked. I, you, to, to say that I was anxious was... I mean, just a massive understatement. I had no way of knowing where I was. So I'm, here I am in this new location. I have no social standing. I have no idea how to make, make my way in the world. I don't know how to compete because in previous situations, it was just a given where you were at. You know, you had a certain amount of, of you, knew who to, you knew who would lead and you knew who would follow in every scenario. There was no argument. And so here I am, I go into this public school and I'm trying to find my place in the world. And, you know, to, to top it all off, I'm wearing the wrong clothes. You know, this is the era of Ocean Pacific and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, it's the yuppie capital kids uh, where status is absolutely everything. Like the entire world, their parents worked on the hill and that was the, you know, that was the pecking order there. So I am going through just completely disconnected and lost, and to uh, and and it definitely it triggered that whole thing of of wanting to shrink in on myself and just kind of being the mute. And when I did talk, I had this twangy accent. So I immediately became the brunt of all the jokes, you know, and it was pick on the new guy. And to make it worse, you know, I have they used to call me Clorox. I had bleach blonde hair and blue eyes, and I was about half a foot taller than everybody else, even though I was younger by, you know, I was one of the youngest kids in the grade. I was younger by probably six or eight months. So you combine all those things together, and it was just awful. Now, 
you know, to think about it, most people, I think, would be wishing, my God, you know, I would love to be taller than everybody, and I would love to be blonde hair and blue eye. But in my case, it was the exact opposite of what I wanted. So, you know, to a certain extent, what you your what your your outward packaging, let's call it your physical shell, what that means in your life is largely determined by what you make it mean. And normally you would be hearing this from a motivational speaker that is, you know, savagely burned or missing limbs or, uh, you know, grew up with a learning disability or whatever the case is. And they will tell you that their so-called disability was the thing that gave them strength. And I can corroborate that by saying the exact opposite. So it's like uh, example by counterpoint. And that is that you can be born with all of the natural advantages. And if you don't see them as advantages, they will work against you. So I'm one of seven kids born into a loving family. We didn't have financial problems. It was very stable. It was a military family. So loving environment should be advantage. But instead, I shrunk in and my family became my entire world because that was the only place I felt safe. I have always been taller than everybody else, should be advantage. But in my mindset, being taller than everybody else made me stand out. And because I was trying to hide, that was a problem. You know, you don't want to be the biggest deer in the herd if there are hunters out. Being blonde hair, blue eyes should be an advantage. I could not deal with the attention that that brought me. The little girls were, quite honestly, they were chasing me around. I had no idea, though. You know, I was oblivious to this fact. And in the, at, the, at the same time, because I was getting that attention from the girls that I had no idea what to do with, the boys had put a bullseye on my back. And so their goal, when they figured out that I had this, you know, this built-in shyness issue, their goal was to tear the big kid down to make themselves look better so that they could get the attention of the teenage girls. Or so I thought. This is all in my head. So at that time, I hated who I was. And again, every possible advantage. Every possible advantage. But it's all in perspective. And I saw it from the worst point of view. And one of the things that I'll talk about later on is something called negativity bias. It's a uh, cognitive, um, cognitive preset, we'll call it, to think the worst. And it's a survival mechanism. And it, sometimes it backfires on you. You know, to go back and think what I could have done had I known what I was working with from a standpoint of just, you know, God-given assets, I could have run the school. But instead, I was that one kid that nobody wanted to be uh, and that everybody wanted to mess with. So when they would mess with me, I would get quieter and quieter and quieter, and they just took that as a sign to keep on going. So... If you're you're looking at your life and you're thinking that something that you have going on is holding you back, uh, you know, uh, there's exceptions to everything so that it certainly could be true. But I would challenge you to ask yourself, is it really true or could someone who carried a different perspective use it to advantage And if the answer to that might be yes, 
then how might someone else take what you are perceiving as a negative and turn it into an advantage? And if you can't find the answer, ask some other people. Because there's somebody out there who can do it. Because it's been done. There are people who are having extraordinary lives. And remember the public speaker, the, the motivational speaker, and I wish I could remember his name, but he's got just the one limb, and it's like this little, he calls it his chicken wing. He's just happy as hell, right? Inspiring millions of people. And here I was with every possible advantage, miserable. And it was all because of what was going on between my ears. But anyway, I told you I would tell you the story of the things we learned from cheerleaders and peanut butter. So here's the deal. This I'm going to call it like the, the tipping point. Um, when my fight or flight instincts kicked in. And I decided enough was enough. So here I am on the school bus. I'm going home one day. And, you know, it was like the kind of the typical torture now. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know, probably 13, I suppose. And just getting it handed to me. And if you remember those school buses, you know, they had those vinyl seats. And there would inevitably be some kid who brings a knife to school and cut one of the seats or something like that. So I happened to be sitting in front of the seat that had the big slash on it. And because it had a big slash, it had a huge piece of duct tape over it. Maybe I should rename this the things we learned from duct tape. But darn it, I like the name Peanut Butter and Cheerleader, so we're going to stick with that. So I am sitting behind this really, really attractive young girl. And uh, I, I found out years later that she actually had a crush on me, and I just didn't know what to do with this. So that's why she was sitting next to me. But And then I have, right behind me, I have all of the, like, the hoodlums, the, the kids that just enjoyed tormenting me because they knew that they... they uh, they could get away with it. So the kid behind me decides that it's a great idea to tear this duct tape off and jump over the seat and slap it down onto my head. So here I am, already the center of attention, and I've got duct tape now like just plastered to my hair and this was the time when you had like the longish hair it was the skater days so I actually had fairly you know like longish hair down to my at least down to my ears uh, and so there was a lot of hair stuck in this tape and you just couldn't get it out and so my inclination was to just withdraw in on myself and try and pretend it didn't exist I figured if I got small enough the world wouldn't know I was there and so now probably the worst thing that could have happened for my self-esteem is this, this girl who's sitting in front of me now got the Florence Nightingale thing and decided she was going to try and save me. And she's a cheerleader, just beautiful, you know, beautiful young girl. And, and this is totally to her credit. Uh, she had, for whatever reason, I think it was in her lunch, she had like one of those mini jars of peanut butter. And so she says to me, you know, I don't know why they always tease you, but I can, you know, I think I can get that out of your hair. I have some peanut butter. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what to make of this, but I, I and I also didn't know what to say to her other than that, you know, she, she like, you know, was making me blush and all this other kind of stuff. I was enjoying the attention, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I just dumbly like agree. So here I am. I'm sitting on the bus. I've got kids laughing at me, and I've got this cheerleader in this tiny little skirt leaning over the bench, <clears throat> smearing peanut butter in my hair. <clears throat> 
And I just remember like, you know, just this, this shame and the rage building inside of me. And, uh, you know, the, the, just over and over and over and over and over again, I just remember vowing to myself, never again, never again, never again. And I was probably saying something worse, like I'm going to kill them all or something like that. Who the hell knows what I was actually saying, but I remember never again, it's going to, like, I was just in vengeance mode and, you know, I, I will just say, like, look out for those kids that are in that position because I think that that is the type of stuff that goes on that sparks, you know, like your your mass shootings and so forth. Is like I was not in a good place. I was not in a good place, and I, you know, I just wanted to to visit my wrath uh, down on these other kids. Um, uh, fortunately, I had no instrument of wrath to do it with, because um, God knows what a what a teenage boy with hormones and all the kind of other stuff going on, and just deeply embarrassed. It got you know, God knows what I would have done. I, I just don't know. Uh, but I was I was definitely you know definitely out for murder. So that was uh, so so I get off the bus and one of these kids. Um, you know, she, she doesn't get the peanut butter all, or she doesn't get the, the duct tape all the way out of my hair. So it's kind of hanging off and I've got my hair full of peanut butter with this long strip of duct tape. And so here, this, one of these kids decides to get off at my bus stop and torment me on the way home. So I'm trudging home, shoulders slunched, book bags slung over me head down, tears streaming down my cheeks, and he's following behind me, hitting me on the head with a stick. So that was like the, the just the lowest of the low point. And uh, I think that because I have to shop for my daughter and I'm sitting here now in the store parking lot talking to myself, or at least looking like I'm talking to myself, I think that, that that's where I'm going to leave you today. And uh, tomorrow I will tell you how I took power back for myself or started taking power for myself and where I started to see a new possible future for myself. Um, but for today, I'm going to leave you with that image. So I hope you come back tomorrow. <laughs> My audience have none. Uh, I hope you come back tomorrow to hear how that story turned out because it was a real turning point in my life. And maybe you'll hear this and think back to a spot where you made a choice where you could have gone one way and you went another and it made all the difference. So as always, I wish you peace. I wish you passion. I wish you purpose. And I wish you presence on the path. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.